bitch she's so loud and obnoxious hi beautiful hi how are you you're in your office i see today yes i'm on bed <laughs> island <laughs> uh well welcome to another episode of how to do drugs i am your host alia janine and today i have my comedy wifey sovereign sire hi hi <laughs> all the way from los angeles we haven't talked or seen each other in a while i miss yeah. you. yeah i miss you too <laughs> I'm actually I'm gonna be in LA uh in November, November 4th, but you're doing skating fest, right? You're doing skating fest south or whatever. Um, I'm not sure because I um I am currently in like a top secret nice. can't tell anybody um mm-hmm. development process. Mm-hmm. So um which has been kind of weird because I can't tell anybody about what's going on in my life. Yeah, right you're now. like, I'm just doing cool shit and I can't tell everybody and everyone's yeah, I'm like, just, I'm yeah, just like, whatever. I, I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to be available. Um, so I, yeah, I'm working on something really exciting, but it's like super NDA legal, can't talk about blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of yeah. like, it, it's got very weird to be working on something really cool and to not be able to tell you or like, yeah. you know, it's been a very weird process to be kind of completely um, not able to tell anyone what's going on in your life for like six months is like kind of, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I do it all the time. Although when I did it, people <laughs> thought I was dead. So uh... <laughs> 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 they sing songs about me and everything. It was real nice. Well, you have such a, you have such an online presence that when it is gone, people are like, wait, she's dead. Yeah. Automatically I'm dead. (laughs) Very distinct brand. (laughs) I'm a cunt. You could, you could say it. I am a cunt online. No, it's like, it's like, it's like, like going out, like testing the air. And it's like, it's a little less cunty today. Yeah. (laughs) Where is she? (laughs) Does anyone hear a rattle? (laughs) <laughs> has anyone pissed anyone off <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but so I might be I might not be kind of I, I don't know what my schedule is gonna look like yet this has been kind of the craziest six months uh, of my life because it's like so yeah. um stakes are high Shit's yeah hot. well I get that well that's exciting though congratulations but yeah once it's out you'll be able to tell everybody and- yeah yeah so and be able to do of... it well then i may be then i may see you in la in november um because i'm doing a cameo in my buddy's movie and uh I want, yeah i wanted to do some shows out there and then uh, myself and rebecca rush are going to do some spots in vegas and then i want to do like um arizona and then texas so i was going to be out there um for a little while but yeah well then uh, yes like we will hang out yeah for sure um i know everyone's like you should just come to texas afterwards i'm like they're like it's so close and i'm like texas and california actually are not all that close (laughs) no that's like i mean comics have like there's a whole joke about that fucking it's like an existential journey to the highway to hell that that journey from los angeles to dallas i've done it twice and it's like Mm -hmm. it's just nothing i mean it's just days of nothing like the environment doesn't change you're just like you're just hurtling towards the end nothingness nothingness yeah Yeah, i've done that drive uh from florida to california (laughs) and back and then i've done the drive from california to wisconsin um but that's actually nice because if you go through colorado and shit at least you have the mountains or whatever but when i did it i had a u-all truck with my car attached to it and i'm doing my and I'm doing like, cause you know how I drive. So I'm like doing 70 smoking cigarettes, have my dogs in the fucking thing, waving to people just cruising down fucking mountains. I'm like, what's up? It's what happens when your dad was a truck driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are a fearless driver. <laughs> I really am. Yeah. I'm really good at it. I'm a great driver. What's well, either if you're like poor white mm-hmm. trash or if you were raised in the third world. Cause I was my, my ex-boyfriend learned how to drive in the Philippines and then in Colombia, mm-hmm. that guy could drive through anything. He was yeah. like, he was like, oh no, at least here there are laws. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, and especially if we start driving young, it's just, yeah, it's just the way I could definitely drive through like wars and shit like that without a doubt. Have you seen some of the streets in Wisconsin? Holy fuck. I mean, even here in this city, like I was walking across the street and I almost tripped in a pothole on the street. I'm like, oh, that can't be good for like a car suspension. <laughs> at all. Yeah. So bad. 
It's bad. Um, so this wonderful podcast, um, as you know, is about drugs and, um, we like drugs. We have done drugs together, um, which is great. You like to do drugs and be productive, which I always thought was counter counterproductive (laughs) to doing drugs, your productivity. Yeah. That's what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the last time I was in LA a couple of years ago? I I remember you were writing, you were writing, um, your book or whatever, and you're like just doing bumps and you're like, I got to write these pages. I'm like doing bumps. I'm like, do you need something clean? I'm like, what are you doing? This is weird. You're working. Yeah. I've had to, I've had to adjust my process uh, because that exploded my relationship. And really? So, yeah. So, funny how that happened. Um, so yeah, I actually haven't, uh, haven't really, I think it's probably been about three years since I was really what I would call like a loadie. Yeah. But you know, but, um, yeah, no, I think I was always that way from the time I was like, like when I, from the time I started doing drugs that like, no, like alcohol and weed never held appeal for me because I'm such like a wonder woman. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I was in high school discovered meth, it was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. like, this is perfect. <laughs> um, turns out I have ADD. Uh, like, yeah turns out yeah actually- no it does help yeah it does actually help but you're like why does this stuff help me do stuff I don't I like, why do I feel so calm and at peace with my world myself in the world like what's going on there <laughs> but yeah like now that I've become like a full-on important adult I've had mm-hmm. to like I realized like after that kind of I think I, I was sober for a very long time and then was partying a little bit. And then I got in a relationship and never relapsed on meth or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But like, definitely, uh, like cocaine became very appealing for the duration of that relationship because I think for, but I think, I think I, I don't know. I think I tended to do that more to keep up with her than anything yeah. else. Like I tend she to, did play, always, I that- she did. She was very, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, I, I like, I so codependent that like, mm-hmm. I was like, because as soon as that relationship ended, I was like done with like, I was like, okay. Yeah. Like I was able to just kind of like walk away from it. Like it wasn't like, I was like, oh no, I have a problem I have to deal with. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. The, the reason I was even doing that is gone. So yeah. So, like, so you think you were just doing it just because she was doing so much of it? Yeah. And it was, it was like this attempt to kind of be on her level or kind mm-hmm. of whatever you know what I mean and it's like I mean ironically it did kind of because I think we reacted to drugs very differently so it's like that actually led to me just I would just go in my room and write for hours Mm -hmm. so it actually ended up creating more distance in that relationship because like how we did drugs was very different you know what I mean like like that like I don't I I never was someone that really did drugs to be social Mm -hmm. whether I was doing acid or taking Mm -hmm. mushrooms or I found that anytime I was on drugs, when I was really into drugs, like as a teenager and in my early twenties, I was always the person that would go off and sit in the corner of the room and just mm-hmm. want to have my own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been doing a lot of therapy. I know I've been doing a lot of therapy <laughs> and hence why I haven't really been, I haven't done drugs really since that breakup. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, that was a big moment for me. That kind of a, like, I don't know. Like you go through a certain number of breakups or breakdowns and you go like, how long am I going to do this? Yeah. Like, yeah. How many, and, how many times am I going to date the same person with a different face kind of thing? Yeah. And so like, I have been going to therapy and I've started to recognize a lot of things about like my attachment style and trauma and stuff like that. And what I've come to figure out is that, um, for, for me, like a lot of things around, uh, I, I always thought I was an anxiously attached person and it turns out I'm an avoidantly attached person. I guess like, that. I don't feel safe around other people. Mm-hmm. Like I, like, I feel like other people are a chore mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of emotional resources for me to navigate them because I'm a people pleaser, which I didn't think I was because I thought people pleasing meant being nice to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not necessarily that, yeah. but I came to realize that people pleasing is more like when you um, abandon your own needs when you're dealing with someone that you want to be with mm-hmm. in order to like, because you fear that they'll abandon you. So you just yeah. kind of don't speak up for yourself or you kind of say you're okay with shit. You're not okay with I a not bunch of cocaine. Was- <laughs> well, exactly. Like as like, I don't want that in my house. Mm-hmm. Flash forward a month later, it's always in the house. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that kind of stuff, like an inability to like really maintain those boundaries. 
So, mm-hmm. um, but I found that like, yeah, like when I was doing drugs, like mushrooms or, or acid or like things like that, that are sort of meant to, that kind of open you up and do stuff like that. Those are always experiences I wanted to have by myself. I didn't feel safe having those experiences with anyone else around. It's like, mm-hmm. I wanted to go like internal. And I find that I have that experience in a lot of other things too. Like I run a lot mm-hmm. and I realized that part of the reason that I like that activity is because it's the only place that no one can catch me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm, lit- I'm in motion. You can't, mm-hmm. I, I'm not available. Yeah. Um, There's no stopping that, like, me to ask me shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so for me, yeah, like drugs were always like a very solitary thing and they, something where I always went very internal because I'm a very serious person. Like I actually am not very social. It's like, yeah, you are a very serious person. (laughs) Yeah. I think about everything or whatever. Um, but so yeah, like for me, for me, drugs are always like a weird thing. Like they were, you know, but I think just in general, if something is not productive, I don't want to do it because Mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with success and achievement and competition. Do you think that that has to do with trauma? Why you are a little bit of a perfectionist? Um, absolutely. Because, uh, I, I've had it even demonstrated recently that literally my parents' love was contingent on me achieving things. Mm -hmm. Like if I was not achieving, I did not exist. Yeah. Cause when did you graduate high school? Like I was 16 and then 16 when I started college. Yeah. So you were very young. And why do you think that was, do you want to talk about your parents? Yeah. I mean, they were both, they're both, they were recovering drug addicts. So, Mm -hmm. um, and so they're both very, um, I just read this book, like adult children of emotionally immature parents. And it really resonated. <laughs> it resonated a lot. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, it just had to do with having parents that didn't teach me really basic shit, like how to self-soothe, how to regulate emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't feel seen or validated because if I was upset or having a hard time, they viewed it as like, an indictment against them and they didn't know how to fix it. So they would just deny my reality. You're not mm-hmm. upset. You're not hurt. You're not hungry. You're not sad. You're not mm-hmm. angry. You're not neglected. So yeah. I, like I was taught to distrust my own feelings very early. And that I think is a really devastating thing to go through as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's taken me well into adulthood to be like, uh, tr- still trying to untangle the knot of that, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, not being able to trust yourself and being told that your intuition is wrong. I mean, it's devastating and it ends up getting you into so much trouble as you is try it? to navigate life as an adult, because yeah. you're, you know what I mean? Like you get, I got in like, my first relationship was so abusive and I just, I didn't know it. Cause you no were kind of used to that type of behavior. If it yeah. was not, maybe not necessarily physically or, or whatever, but that, that feeling of where like you constantly have to prove yourself and that your feelings are validated and it's only yeah. what they want. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I think when I, like, when I discovered meth as like a teenager, I think it was just something that allowed me to kind of power through despite any kind of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And so that's what made it an appealing high. So I don't think I ever got, I don't think I ever chased like a euphoric feeling from meth. Mm-hmm. Like it was always about like productivity and being able to just like power through and get things done despite whatever kind of emotional chaos is going on like in my life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't, I know I've never related to people that like, just want to sit back and get high. It's just like, like I just recently took a vacation at Tulum and I think mm-hmm. it was the first time. And because I've been doing all this therapy, mm-hmm. this is the first time I've ever been on a vacation where I literally went and sat on the beach and was able to just enjoy the sensation of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Because normally as soon as I'm doing nothing, my brain immediately starts telling me these, sending me these messages. Like you're lazy you haven't done enough. You need Mm -hmm. to do more. No one loves you. You're a fraud. You're not working hard enough. You don't deserve to enjoy anything. You don't Mm -hmm. deserve to be happy. That's Mm -hmm. for other people. Like, because you're bad, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, I had not been aware that those were messages that were constantly cycling through my brain Mm -hmm. until the pandemic. Yeah. Until I was forced to do nothing and sit (laughs) in the discomfort of that feeling for days that led into weeks, led into months. And about six months into the pandemic, I was like, I need to deal with this. Yeah. You know, like they we were finally there forced no, to deal with it. Yeah. Because there was no end to it. It was mm-hmm. like, you are just going to have to sit in this. So like, what if you can't do the things you want? What if you can't do stand up? What if you can't 
do you perform? What if you can't go out and like everything that I wanted to do involved performing in front of people and being out in the world. And that is mm-hmm. how I measured my success. And if, to suddenly be in a position of like, you can do none of that. Um, I had to finally deal with that. I mean, I was able to resist it for like six months and I had a Good lot of job, by the way, and then yeah. it was just like, there's this moment when like, there's still a part of my, I think why I never got sucked into addiction like fully to get abandoned to it is because yeah, there's always or like this, as a clutch or something. Yeah. It's like, because there's always some part of my brain that knows like when to stop that goes like, uh, 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 mm-hmm. this, yep. this is not sustainable, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And I was talking about that on, on, I did the WTF interview and we were talking about that. There's always like this moment in addiction where you have this moment where you're like, if I don't stop now, like I'm, a, I'm in. Yeah. Like, like, and like, and I think it's like, you either come up to that edge and you go like, all right. And so for me, it was like, I was, I was drinking a lot at the beginning, but so, I mean, everybody was. Oh God, girl, so much, so much. (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, I, I, about six months in, I kind of woke up and was like, okay, like this is untenable. Like, Mm -hmm. this is like, like. This is who you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe we should try therapy, like read a book maybe Mm -hmm. about, (laughs) um, and I think that's the thing is like, I just never stopped to like work on my shit. Cause I mm. felt like I just didn't have time. And well, then you, I think some- too, you like to work on other things and, and use that as like, oh, well I'm doing this stuff. So that's technically work, even though emotionally and mentally you're still kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I did all that stuff. Like I started doing like that kind of stuff. And so I, I kind of like cut out everything for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really uncomfortable, like to sit in my own skin. <laughs> it was really fucking uncomfortable. Um, and now, I mean, I'm like, I'm still, like, I don't know. Now I'm, I like everything. Like, I wish like, I can't talk about what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's so fresh. I'm like, and then like things got really good. Um, mm-hmm. So sobriety has been good. Yeah. I, mean, I still drink wine sometimes and stuff like that. I'm not like, I'm not like in AA or something like that, but like yeah. taking that moment and kind of assessing all of that stuff and finally like kind of dealing with those things, um, what like was really helpful in readjusting how I relate to substances for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah. Like when I was on vacation this time, I was with a friend and she was just, you know, she was like wanting to drink and party and do everything the whole time. And that was fine. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I just noticed that I, I didn't like, I was mm-hmm. like, I was, I did a couple shots of my cow, like when the people were offering and shit like that, but like, I, it wasn't like, I was like on a mission and I just remember like, that like, ways, then. yeah, like you've never really been like that like, anyway, though. You've never really been like, um, you've never been like that ever since I've known you. Yeah. I've always like, been I, like a bitch for drinking and you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's kind of wild. Like when I think about it, it's like, cause I'm like, well, I've never considered myself sober. Like I've always kind of like gotten high here and there and I like to drink and this and that, but like, um, I've, I don't know. I just never have, I've never been like a partier though. Like I've never yeah. been one to go do those things socially. It's more just like, uh, an, a solitary loner kind of activity. Like yeah. I'm going to get high and go sit in my room and read a book. Yeah. Like, I do the like, opposite I'm, where like, if I'm going to drink, like drinking at home alone, like, like that means you're an alcoholic. So as long as I'm out, you know, at a bar binge drinking copious amounts of alcohol, instead of like having a glass of wine at home. Yeah. I did. The opposite. I've always just been like, like, Oh yeah. Like I'm, I'm sure I'm fully an alcoholic or this or that. Mm-hmm. I, okay. Like, yeah. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I've just never, I don't know because those things have never, I can always like pick them up and put them down if the, if the situation requires it. And mm-hmm. I've never like, I, you know, I always had, even when I was on meth and I always had this like rule thing about like, I'm not going to sell my body or my stuff to maintain a habit. I'll never let a habit destroy a relationship, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I never did. Like I, you know, like when it comes down to anything like that, it was like, I can always just be like, okay, well then that's, that's off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, and so even with, even with, uh, my last relationship, it wasn't like, if the drugs don't go, then not, it wasn't like that. It was just kind of, 
it was just two people that were really struggling. And I think having kind of tower moments like in their lives that came together and we're like, we're going to help each other. And it's like, help each other all the way to the bottom. <laughs> like, and, you know, it was like, she, like we helped torpedo each other to a rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as I know, she's actually doing really well now. And like, Good. I'm doing really well. So, you know, I think, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes you, you do need to hit rock bottom and sometimes yeah. a certain people where you think that like you want to be with them and you're like, Oh, I want to be the, with this person for the rest of my life or for, you know, for a substantial amount of time. And then they're in the same type of struggle you are. And then it is that codependent relationship where you feel like, Oh, well, we're in this together. It's like, sometimes you need to separate and you end yeah. up doing much better apart than you guys thought you were going to do it together kind of thing. I noticed that with, um, with one or two of my relationships where it's like, dude, we're so much better <laughs> without <Yeah>. each other. <laughs> well, I think too, sometimes it's like, you know, sometimes like, like, I don't know, like, I think any time that I've really gone on like a bender, because mm-hmm. it wasn't like the whole of that relationship. I'd say maybe like the last six months, it was like that we needed some serious CPR. You know what I mean? Like it was mm-hmm. like, I think it was like somehow like there was this moment when it just became this like bender that just was relentless. And, but I, I feel like- I experienced some of that when I was there, I feel. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I, honestly, like when you were there, I mean, it was like, you saw that where, I mean, it was like two dogs, like three people, like it, it was, it was like, I remember talking to Mark when that was going, like when that breakup happened and he was like, she's like, he's like, I feel like she's trying to drive you crazy. It's like created a scenario where it's like, Mm -hmm. like you're drowning and someone's throwing you a baby. It'd be like, and now we need someone to move in. And now we need, now we need both dogs. And it was like in this like tiny apartment that it was just Mm -hmm. like, it was like a, this powder keg of like shit where it was like bound to explode. But like, I think sometimes when people are going on like drug benders and shit like that, like they're trying to create a, a fucking tower moment for themselves. Like they're kind of what's going to happen if I just kind of let myself completely go, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, um, and like, I think a lot of comedians have jokes about that. Like, I don't trust someone that's not willing to fucking, yeah. like, I don't trust someone that's never like had a drug problem. Cause like, I don't trust someone that's never been willing to go right up to the edge of the abyss and like mm-hmm. look over, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like if, if you haven't had the strength of will to just really see what you're made of, yeah, you know, it is hard to trust people to be like, Oh, you, I feel that if you haven't been afraid of dying, you haven't really lived at all. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think, I think you need, some people need that fear. And some people don't, some people try it and, and do it for a while. And then they're just done. Like they don't have to hit rock bottom. Um, I've been talking to a couple of people, one of my, um, one of my buddies, uh, he actually called me, I'm trying to get him on the show, but one of his three bosses said that, um, because of the name of the show, it's very strong as I say multiple times on here. Um, but I'm going to try to get him on. He actually called me. He's a, um, conservative Republican, uh, happens to be the son of one of my former neighbors. And, um, he's, he's a great dude. Like I, I like him a lot. Um, but he had told me he listened to the podcast. He's like, I would love to do it. I just can't right now because this one boss or whatever. But he's like, um, in the beginning of next year, um, he'll he has more like leniency to do what he wants. But he's like, I was listening to your episode with Jim Norton. He's like, I think you should try it, um, being sober because I like right now, especially with that quarantine's over and stuff. Um, I don't, I still don't go out that much. Like if I have spots and stuff like that, but I'm not doing as as many spots as I was like, I'll go out and then I'll just binge drink because I'm like, Oh, I haven't been out in a while. And I'm like, I need to stop doing that. Like I haven't, I've been fine over the past couple of weeks, but I noticed that I haven't had a drink. Oh no, wait, I had a beer on Thursday on Tuesday at my Broadway show, but I think I'm going to try, um, not drinking for the month of September. Although it's going to be hard because I'm going to Wisconsin at the end of the month and you've been to Milwaukee. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So that's going to be, I'm like, I think I could do it though. And that's the thing with me is that I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink every day. Like I don't need to. It's just when I do go out, I'll binge drink a lot of times, um, especially more so now after quarantine. Cause like before quarantine, I had like my one day of the week and sometimes I wouldn't even drink on that day. You know what I mean? And like yeah. now like quarantine really 
screw that up. Cause I do definitely have like that addicts mentality where it's like, Oh, I need more. Like, it's so strange with like Coke. I could stop. Like I haven't done Coke in forever. Um, mushrooms. Like I still have so much acid and mushrooms in my freezer right now from quarantine. But at those, like, I like micro dosing and doing those on like fun things, like going to see like the Van Gogh thing or, or something like that. But I am, um, the alcohol, it's the binge drinking for me that I think I need to, um, I need to try to, I miss where I was before where I could have like one beer and then not need to drink more. And now it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit harder after quarantine. I wonder how many other people are also struggling with that because everyone drank so much over quarantine. And then now, I, I mean, like, I, like I'll, I'll say this for people listening. I, I have never been able to do drugs and then not have it be a problem. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, I did meth, it became a problem. Mm -hmm. And then I had to quit and it was a very dramatic thing. And then was like, didn't do drugs. I mean, maybe did cocaine like two or three times in like a 10 year period. And then mm -hmm. when I got in that last relationship and she brought it into the house and was doing it all the time. And I started doing it with her, like it became something like a, a daily thing for a few months. And then that like imploded and then she mm -hmm. left and it was like, okay, like I can't do that anymore. And like, now I would never do it again, you know, because, yeah. and I had that revelation where I was like, I was like, well, that was a fun experiment, but here's the deal. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot do drugs casually. Like it is a problem for you. Yeah. So it was kind of like, I look at it, like I was like wild in my youth. I had the meth problem and like quit was like, the only thing I ever did was drink after that. And then when I got in that last relationship and that came into the house, it was immediately a problem again. Luckily it didn't take seven years of my life this time. Like right. luckily <laughs> it took like three months, mm -hmm. but like it was, it taught me like, well, that was your, that was your, in case you were curious. Yeah. Yep, you, have, it, you, you can't do it the way other people <laughs> can do it. Like there. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad, I'm glad that it didn't take it being like a ruining my life kind of fucking event. I I'm glad I was able to like, go like, well, nope, we're good. Yeah. Drinking for me has like never been, you know, yeah, I've never, never been drunk. I've never, yeah. da -da -da -da. it's like, um, I know, I don't know. It's just alcohol was never like my never thing. Your thing. like it was never like my drug of choice or whatever it's like mm -hmm. because you know like I like to drink wine at night to like go to sleep and like that's that's about it yeah, yeah. like that's See, kind of like alcohol's never really been like my drug of choice either like cocaine has always been like one of my favorites but I think like I like acid more than coke like I'd rather go tripping one day than do a bunch of coke I mean but like, I, I acid's one of those things but I think for me now like shrooms and acid and I've heard about ketamine and like ket I've thought about maybe doing trying a ketamine drip at like a doctor for depression stuff yeah. but like I I'm kind of at this place in life and at my age and everything else where I'm kind of like I, I guess I'll just remember how cool it was when I was 16 doing that right. shit and just live in the memory of how fun that was mm -hmm. back in the day. But yeah. I think also like now I it's with this thing going on, I think I've real like, it turns out that a majority of my mental health issues were immediately resolved by money and success. Yeah. <laughs> Overnight. It was amazing. Suddenly the need to do other. So now when like, when I hear these stories of like celebrities that are like, and then I like got the gig and, and it's like, I was like on this TV show and I got, and it's like, and I was successful and I still wasn't happy. And I'm like, don't know her. Don't do not know her. <laughs> do not understand. No. Nope. Yeah. Cause like I have like this cool shit going on and mm -hmm. I, and I was just like, huh? Like, I feel great. I have right. literally no curiosity or desire to see it. <laughs> I don't have time. There's also a thing of like time. It's like, how much time do I have left to kind of like go into this? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But I think that's the same reason why I could never be a casual drug user because yeah. I, like I couldn't do drugs without feeling, I guess what Catholics call um, the fear. Yeah. It's like this kind of immediate sense of guilt. Like, what are you doing? You're mm -hmm. fucking up your life. This is bad. This is wrong. Yeah. Cause that, that other voice that, is predominant in your head where you're like, this is awesome. And we definitely need to do this. And a yeah. Lot of and then it's like at the same, and it's like, so I could like, like 
people that can just like go to Burning Man for a weekend. Yeah. Or even smoke cigarettes shit, casually. And then go home and be like, that was cool. I'm like, I don't know what that's like. I can't do that. It's like people <laughs> who just casually smoke when they have a drink. Like, I wish I could be a smoker like that. Like that. Has, yeah. I'm like, I just want to have a, a smoke. But no, I constantly smoke. So it's like if I quit smoking, like I can't just have one puff. So it's, it is very similar. Did you quit? With, are you, are you, oh, cigarettes? Oh, hell no. I still smoke. I like smoking. <laughs> I'm quitting everything else. Okay. Let me have my goddamn cigarettes for right now. I probably like, I do have apps and stuff like that. So it is on the list of things to do. Um, of quitting right now I'm working on, um, the drinking thing to see if I can do that whole, um, not drink for a month thing. Cause it is one of those things. Like once you're in, cause when I'm at home, I'm fine. Like I have bottles of fucking wine. Like I don't drink at home, but it's like, when I go out, I'll be like, Oh, I'm not drinking. And then someone will either offer me a drink or I'll walk up to the bar and they'll like, just hand me the glass of wine that I always order. And I'm like, Oh, well, I guess I'm drinking. So it's like, I need to, and it is one of those things where it's like, have to tell people oh this is going out um i have to tell people that yo i'm drinking tonight <laughs> and then they'll be like oh okay and some people look at me weird. i've noticed now um especially being older and especially with a lot of comics who are sober like if i say i'm not drinking now they're like oh okay but like they they totally go why does this keep going out because there's a sign there's a sign why does this keep happening I've been having the worst technical luck over the past two episodes for some reason. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I think my equipment's possessed. Like I set it up and then I don't touch it and then it will do something. Okay. It's fine now. Um, where the fuck was I? Oh, with the drinking and stuff. So yeah. So I think for September and it's going to be a test going back to Wisconsin to see if yeah. I can not drink. But some of my, uh, a couple of my really close friends, like they're not drinking as much anymore. Like, and some of them still work in bars and stuff. That's another thing too. A lot of my friends back home, they all own bars or work in bars. So it's impossible for them to like really stay sober. So one of my friends who still is a bartender, like him staying sober is like, it's really like, I'm really proud of him. Cause that's gotta be there's no way I could stay sober working in a bar. <laughs> I, don't yeah. think. I mean, I find for me too, it's just different stuff. It's like, I can't drink and do stand up. Like I can't drink and perform. Mm -hmm. I can't drink and then write. I can't drink. And then, so it's like, I, for me, it's really only something I can do if I'm like about to go to bed. Yeah. You know what I mean? like, like, <laughs> like, so it's like, for me, it's also like, just when I have shit going on in my life where it's like, right now I'm under a deadline. Like I'm writing every day for 10 to 12 hours. Like I, I can't drink and write. Cause I, it makes me too tired. It makes me sloppy. Mm -hmm. it, it makes me make mistakes. The stakes are too high right now to make mistakes. Like, yeah. so I just, I just can't. Um, and it doesn't bother me cause I'm, I'm focused on like what I'm doing or if I'm doing mm -hmm. standup, it's like, I got to drive around everywhere. I have to drive to several different bars. So I can't drink. Mm -hmm. in each place. Cause I'm not going to drink and drive. And then I yeah. don't like to be tipsy before I perform. I think I did that once with you mm -hmm. at like the New York comedy festival. And it was like, I went up one time where I was loaded. Like I'd had like four or five drinks and it was like, mm -hmm. I didn't do. And I just like, and I was like, Oh, yeah, I don't, horrible. yeah, yeah I don't like to perform really drunk. Like I always yeah, have like, like I, a one glass limit. Like if I am drinking before a set, like it's normally like I won't drink more than one. If I'm hosting sometimes, like I'll have the one and they'll be like, okay, like I have a limit when I'm performing. It'd be like, yeah, because you can't be super sloshed unless it's yeah, like, you can't. And that's why it's like, an yeah. it comes like I had to drink to like have the nuts nerves to get up there. And I'm like, mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm drunk and I get up there, like, I'm not going to remember my material. I already I'm, have I'm a hard time feel... remembering. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> just like, like, so for me, it was like the opposite. I'm, I'm just like, or like do people like I'm doing coke. And I was like, I can't do anything that's gonna, because like when I, if I've, if I drink or if I've done cocaine or anything like that, like my personality changes mm -hmm. and I become very like self-conscious and kind of like hyper self-aware mm -hmm. and that kind of takes me out that actually it actually makes me more nervous and less social it's yeah. like I don't want to be seen in a way where in any way like I'm impaired it's like I'm embarrassed yeah which also might be part of why I was if I ever like when I was doing drugs I would always want to be by myself is because yeah. I, I I didn't want people to see me being vulnerable or being like, messed up yeah yeah it was like embarrassing like oh 
you know? Yeah. Oh no, there's definitely been things I should be embarrassed of for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, it's like, I'm embarrassing enough on my own. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then you add, add the, the drunk factor or whatever. A lot of times too, people are always like, oh, they were drunk. It's like, is that really a good enough excuse though? You know, because yeah. it is, um, they always say that, um, but like the things that you say when you're drunk happen to be more truthful than, than you are when you're sober because you don't have um, that filter. You're more open and, and whatnot. And it's like, oh, so is this who I really am? This drunk person, you know, just very happy and loud because when I'm sober, like I'm quite like I'm still loud. I'm just loud in general. But I tend to be more reserved. I'm definitely more bitchy, you know, yeah. <laughs> towards people I don't know, especially towards strangers. I'm never really nice um to strangers the stranger danger but when i'm drunk i'm like hey what's up you know unless they touch me and then that's yeah oh and then i watched that happen <laughs> or touch one of my friends yeah i mean like out here in california and you're like you're saying like with comedians and stuff like that like so many people are 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 sober that it's kind of like you know i think that it you know it used to be this really cool tragic thing like oh the you know the Richard Pryors and the, you know what I mean? Like, like the, there was this kind of like really romanticizing mm -hmm. like that addiction and, and the struggle yeah. of that. Well, and, a lot of people too thought they'd be like, oh, you need to go through this to be really good at yeah. comedy. It's like, yeah. well, you, that's just like those people's experiences. There's also tons of other types of experiences, you know, well, that... it's also, but like also it's tragic and romantic if you're Richard Pryor. Yeah. Like, forget the part where you have to be good first. Like, <laughs> like when people romanticize drug addiction or suicide and it's like, oh, but like Kurt Cobain or Prince or this, it's like, but it was Kurt Cobain. Like, are you Kurt Cobain mm -hmm. first? Yeah. Like, like, are you a genius first? Because no one's going to miss you or think it's romantic if you're not like of that caliber yeah, so yeah like if you didn't create something yeah <laughs> well my like the, the philosophy i have for myself is like uh before you can lose yourself to addiction or depression you have to like be a genius and really successful so i have to do that first and then if i get there and I then you get to be like, crazy <laughs> and if i still feel like abandoning myself to addiction it's totally okay but i have a feeling that once i'm really successful i'll probably mm -hmm. just want to enjoy myself yeah, you know, because I'm the same way I've noticed too, as long as I have enough money and like work, I am fine. Like mentally, I'm happy. I don't need to drink like cocaine. I'm like, eh, whatever. So yeah, definitely money. Money has always, I'm not sure maybe it's that just because like, you know, we were both raised, you know, poor white trash kind of thing. Yeah. With my mom always trying to be like, we're middle class. It's like, no, bitch, Um, <laughs> you sell marijuana still uh <laughs> kind of thing so i think that maybe that has a big factor too on um on how we were raised at like money because it is it's a form of security and like yeah. having having that type of security it's like even when you're in a relationship even though it may be a really toxic relationship there is a sense of security there because you are with another person they're experiencing the same things so money is the same way where it's like, oh, I can afford rent. I can afford food. I can afford to like go out to dinner or like help this person out. There is that money does provide, unfortunately, you know, that that sense of security that does really affect a lot of people's mental health, especially now with, I guess, unemployment for, you know, a lot of like civilians and stuff that went out on Labor Day of all. It's like good time in Grandpa Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like, as you're talking, I just keep thinking like, you know, I'm really happy right now and mm -hmm. everything is, my life has changed so dramatically in six months. Um, and one of the things I had, the thoughts I had in Tulum was that like, I don't think I've ever been happy and ha and thought that any drugs or alcohol would make me feel better or enhance it. The only mm -hmm. time I've ever wanted drugs or alcohol was when I was feeling something really uncomfortable or mm -hmm. I was trying to like pass the time. Like I was full of apathy or boredom yeah. or I was hurting. I've never been really happy and been like, you know what would make this better? Cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know what would make this better? Wine. I've never, yeah. it's just never happened. And yeah, I, I, I love yeah. that too. Like when I, um, like, you know, that 
if I say for a couple nights in a row, I'm drinking a couple glasses of wine, or let's say I start dating someone and I'm like over at their house and staying the night and stuff. I'm mm. never thinking about like, oh, I need a glass of wine. It's like, I'm like when I feel stimulated mm -hmm. and happy, like none of those things are like, you really don't need it. Yeah. And you don't no. really think about it. Like if I'm out having a good time, you don't need, like, I don't need that extra thing. There was, you know, obviously when you're younger though, too, where it's like, oh, let's go. Like most of the activities that, that I did were always surrounded about getting drunk or getting fucked yeah. up, but like everything that we, we do, like, oh, I'm going to go see the Van Gogh thing. I'm like, I want to do that on acid. I mean, I sober would be fun too, but I'm like, I still love acid. It's fun. Like, well, I mean, I think there's, yeah. like, I mean, there's one thing about like when you're, when you're a kid and you're experimenting like there, there, there are experiences I had on drugs that obviously were like really fucking awesome. And mm -hmm philosophical and, and like learning about like these different states of being and how you feel and all of that stuff. But like, you know, I think as you get into like, like once you get into your thirties, it's like, those aren't, not, those aren't the fucking transformative experiences you're fucking having. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know what time it is and like, you know what I mean? Like, like I think, mm -hmm. so it's not to say that like, it's all bad. It's more just like, I think there's a period of time for that kind of growth and exploration mm -hmm. and like, you know, and like, cause I, like, I even have like weird things about like people that do the ayahuasca stuff where I'm just like, is that, is that really about spirituality or is it for just some like, people, I think, it you know, be. and like, and I, I'm like, I guess I like, and that's why I think, you know, like our, the, I think society's relationship to drugs is just so skewed. It's like, it's sort of surrounded in shame and mm -hmm. judgment and like, it, like, because they are dangerous in a way, because it really depends on who's walking into the room and doing them and kind of mm -hmm. why they're doing them and like what's going on in all of that, you know? And then like the tragedy that happened this week, you know, yeah. like I was wondering if we were going to talk about that, but like, I guess I want to, Yeah, no you know, like I, I saw that and I, you know, I, I really feel for Kate because I can't imagine you go to someone's house you do some lines and then you wake up in the hospital and all of your friends are dead. Dead. Yeah. That has to be I, I, fucking I, terrifying. I can't imagine what she's and she's fighting for her life. And it's like, I just can't imagine what that must feel like. Yeah. And that like, she's got like, my first thought was like, she is, her life is like changed forever now. And like, that is, going to be a huge um I mean it, like it's a tragedy for the people that died but also yeah. just you know that that that's well there's that, that that survivor's guilt and yeah. stuff like that and when it comes and especially when it comes to partying it's like is she going to get in trouble you know you know like charged with, with the murders or the deaths you know because sometimes um if she supplied the drugs like I don't know the whole story so Obviously, this is all speculation or, or yeah, whatever or, yeah, or but theories, it, yeah, but it is very I, true that like people have been charged, you know, and they're just like and they may not even do it that much. It's just be like, oh, weekend. One of my friends is in town. Let's they have some coke. We're going to do some coke. All of a sudden it's laced with fentanyl and then everyone's fucking dead. And that person is going to jail, you know, for a thing that they do maybe once a year. But then again, yeah. there, there's and, the and, people and that do it a lot, too. Yeah. And that's the thing is like that that happened. And, and I just what really struck me was like people's reaction to it. And like, there, there was just, there was so much there going on there mm -hmm. um, because there was, there was like so much judgment and then everyone's like, don't be judgmental, have these test strips and have Narcan. And, and mm -hmm. I was just going, and I was just going like, if we're at the point where in order to do drugs, you need to have test strips and you need to have Narcan on you like maybe we're at a place where like it, this isn't harmless anymore like this yeah, isn't about recreation anymore yeah it's not and fun like, yeah that like and this sort of expectation it just made me think about like comedy and entertainment in general and los angeles mm -hmm. and party culture and especially in LA. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, cause there's all these people trying like making jokes and all this stuff. And, and a lot of these people, I was just, I was like, you guys all do it. This could be any of you. 
Like, oh no, yeah. The jokes that I have, I'm like, my dealer, he's like, he's fucking texting me. He's like, oh, he's like, don't worry, I got all the test strips. And I'm like, I think I'm okay for a while. (laughs) Yeah. And then William K. Um, or Michael K. Williams also passed away. They they don't, they said they found drug paraphernalia in his apartment. I don't know if it was due to drugs or whatever, but yeah, just people are, people are literally dying from just trying to have a good time. But also, do you think let's get conspiracy theory. Do you think that, um, with how much fentanyl is out, do you think that the government has anything to do with that? I don't like because a lot of dealers I know, like they're not going to want to kill off their clientele. You know what I mean? That's counterproductive. That's the word of the day Um, to making money to me, at least, Um, at least the ones I know. I mean, I I, like I haven't really, you know, because it like I mean, I haven't done drugs in so long. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not really my world anymore. You know what I mean? yeah, so yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like, it's not something really, I've, I've really sat and thought about. It's like, mm-hmm. and when I started hearing about fentanyl, I like my first thought was like, just under the wire. Like, right, good yeah. I, good thing <laughs> I had my little, my little, like my little relapse like three years ago and like mm-hmm. was able, you know what I mean? Like, because I was like, I, you know, like I, I was certainly not the kind of user that would be bringing test strips to the party. Oh, see, yeah, I am. I am one. Oh, I'm giving it. I'm <laughs> buying a bunch of people the little test strips for Christmas presents. But like, I like, I, you know, I, mean, I, think that, <laughs> I think that I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. But yeah. I mean, I, I guess what it tells me is that, you know, um, that there are a lot more people um, that have an o- opioid addiction than a coke addiction. And so oh, 100%. Like, it's, yeah. So it's like it's like if they're killing off a few coke people, whatever, like because the fentanyl's there because it's it's adulterated, like they're they're a synthetic opioid opioids and shit like yeah. that. Like. um, I don't know, you know, I, I what I what I know is that that it's not worth dying over yeah you know the part i know that like i know i know that it's fucking tragic and the for me the the weird thing was a couple years ago there was a a new porn girl um violet rain i think was her name and the one who passed away right she um she did she was like out of club and did some coke in a bathroom and went into Mm -hmm. a coma and then was in a coma for like a week. And then the family had to take her off life support. And it, I mean, it was just very tragic. I think she was like mm-hmm. 19 or 20 years old. And mm-hmm. I remember like that happening and it just seemed so fucking tragic. And then mm-hmm. going to her Twitter page and seeing that she followed me Aww. like on Twitter. And, and I remember mm-hmm. just thinking like this thing where I was just like, for some reason that really like hit me in the stomach for some reason. Like it just mm-hmm. was like, um, And that was when I was just kind of like, I think that like, I was already, I was already like sober again. Like I was already hadn't been doing drugs, but that kind of like, for me was just like the, like the nail in the coffin for any of it for me anymore. I was Mm -hmm. like, that's just like, you know what I mean? Like the, like that, you know, like, I don't know what we're all chasing. I don't know what we're all after, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, I know that it's not that you know, yeah. and like, you know, Kate's in a fucking hospital bed right now. And it's like, I, I know that that's not what we are after when we walk into, you know what I mean? Like, like, I, yeah, I, yeah. Well, just like, it makes me think that. about like the end game and like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that clearly we all have like a spiritual sickness that like needs to be addressed. Like, mm-hmm. that's what it makes me feel like, you yeah. know, that people are taking this level of risk. Um, to abandon themselves or to get out of their own skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are all probably in a lot of spiritual trouble and we need to address it, yeah. you know? Spiritual and like, I think mental, uh, just living in this country in general, because we've always been yeah. told that it's the greatest country in the world. And then we look at how other countries are and we're like, we're not actually the at all. We're actually real kind of shitty for being, you know, a first world country, especially supposed to be one of the richest. We have, you know, we don't have healthcare. There's other countries where drugs are legal and, and you can send them in and get tested. And there's 
like the drug problems are minuscule. Uh, you know, um, they teach like proper sex health, you know, sex ed and stuff like that, where pregnancies are low and no one's getting abortions because they have access to all this stuff. We're here in the United States, like we're fighting, you know, fighting with fucking Texas, you know, for just human fucking rights. And, and like we're constantly and, and just race equality and all this stuff. Our country is very depressed. And then we have this quarantine and then we have these people running the country and you add all of that on top of just trying to survive, like people with minimum wage jobs, having to work like three jobs just to stay, you know, just to pay rent, you know, in New yeah. York. And it's just all of this stuff. And yeah, so drug use and, and drug addiction and, and deaths from drugs is definitely higher here than it is in multiple other places it's because we are fucking, we're depressed. America is very depressed and nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's part of the whole, it's part of the whole culture. Like, cause what I've noticed is like, once I retired from porn and like, didn't have to be on social media to be constantly promoting like my only fans or whatever, mm -hmm. like I didn't really want to be on there. And in the last six months, like, as I got on this project, I like, just, I don't have a desire to be there. And it made me realize how much of my time spent on social media was about not necessarily just like numbing out, mm -hmm. but it was about like escaping into this fantasy world mm -hmm. where I could be anything I wanted to be mm -hmm. and where I could imagine that I was like, because I'm followed by certain celebrities or because I'm chatting with this group of comedians or that group of comics on Instagram or on Twitter, mm -hmm. that I'm part of some kind of club and, yeah. and that it's not necessarily commensurate to my achievements or what yeah. I'm doing. And like, and that this obsession with celebrity that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And everyone wants to live like, you know, and this is like all cliche stuff I'm talking about that's mm -hmm. sort of like compare and despair, but like, you know, when you like coming, you know, that in America, it's like this obsession with celebrity, with grind culture, with hustle culture, like mm -hmm. trying to be an influencer, everyone's trying to make it. And like this addiction to social media and YouTube, and you see it in hookup culture and people that are mm -hmm. like, when I'm on TikTok and like, I'm on there a lot because for this project, it's like a lot of stuff around like relationships and things like that. And it's like, you know, men and women have been like radicalized against each other and people yeah. are so, so desperately lonely and unhappy, but they can't get off the dating apps, mm -hmm. but like ghosting and like narcissistic abuse and like, like all of this stuff, like what it's instant gratification is, people are looking yeah. for instant and they got to have it. And then they need more. It's like, we constantly need more. Yeah. And it, and it's like, it's kind of like that. It's like brave new world more than mm -hmm. everyone said it was going to be 1984, but it's like brave new world is a much more accurate depiction of where we're at. Mm -hmm. And it's that whole thing of like, sort of that Roger Waters, like amusing ourselves to death, mm -hmm. you know? And what I see is that it's like, everyone's just trying to escape rather than deal with where we're at and trying to, to fix it because it just feels kind of insurmountable. You know, and, yeah, I, and I it's think, like, how do, how do we fix all of this Yeah, <laughs> and fast? And we want to fix it so fast. It's like, that's not unfortunately how it works, but yeah, there is, and it needs to start, like, does it start from the top? Do we fix the top? Or I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with a society. Like we need to push the top, you know, to get these things that will make us all better, but they are drowning us with social media. I mean, people could think like that and think that it's like a conspiracy theory, but it's like, it's been, is it really a theory, a conspiracy if it's, if we're living it, you know, to a certain well, extent? I mean, it is, I mean, it is late, late stage capitalism at its finest. And like mm -hmm. one of the things you have to do is create a culture that values capitalism Stop. and, Stop. and <laughs> at, above all else. I mean, like, yeah. that's like capitalism and materialism, like, and so like that, we were in a culture that has elevated being a billionaire or being a celebrity like to the moon mm -hmm. and, you know, being a good person or in a loving relationship or having stable family relationships and like contributing to mm -hmm. like your community is like considered a weakness. Boring. Yeah. You know, like, and lame. it's like, so, so, and the thing is like, not everyone can be famous or a billionaire. So then mm -hmm. you have people that are living these, like they're, they have a family and kids and they go to work every day and they're doing this or that. And they just feel it fucking invisible. Mm -hmm. 
you know, worthless, worthless. Yeah. It's like, they're, they're so devalued by the culture mm-hmm. and they're being told constantly that their lives are boring. Yeah. And, and like, whatever. Oh, you don't own a yacht. What do you mean? You don't. Own yeah. A and yacht and makes them feel you like they're really shoes? missing out, you know, mm-hmm. like, so yeah, drugs is like, a great escape for that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, like your husband and kids are great, but are you on a yacht? But do you have abs? Yeah. But do you have this? Like, and it, it's instead of going like, wow, you have like a marriage and kids like congratulations on your fucking miracle. Right. For the fact like, that you got, you know what I mean? Like, married? like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, oh my God. <laughs> did you like finish something you started and have stable relationships and people that care about you? Like you're a what? fucking Mozart. I'm sorry. That's such as hard. Right. My whole life. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, like, uh, the, like that's just hard. That's like so finishing hard. the things you yeah. start. Jesus Christ. Ooh, let's not talk about that with our ADHD. <laughs> Girl, the number of projects I started, I still have balls that I was going to teach myself how to juggle. I have a rolled out piano that I bought over quarantine because I'm like, I have long fingers. I took it out of the box once. I mean, like, like for me, the big thing I went through in quarantine was like sitting back and asking myself like what I really wanted and like what all of that stuff was about. Why do Mm -hmm. I have five podcasts? Why do I, why am I doing standup? Like I, I really sat back and asked Mm -hmm. myself to really answer like what all of it was about. Like, I'm like, is this about having attention? Yeah. Is this about that was the Mari candy or whatever her name is? Does this bring you joy? Oh, I totally did that too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and what I realized is that like a lot of it was, you know, that Mitch Hedberg joke, like, oh, you're a farmer. Can you cook that? Like we're kind of in this culture where it's like, I'm a writer, but in order to leverage writing into something that made money, I had to do it in all of these roundabout ways. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'll have a podcast or a YouTube show, or I'll go do stand up, Like, because these are ways to monetize writing mm-hmm. and that everything was around like monetizing it and building your brand and all of this stuff. And I just woke up one day and I was like, fuck it. Like, I can't do this. I'm going to do it the old fashioned way. I'm going to go apply for writing jobs. And then yeah. I fucking got some. Yeah. And then that led to something else. And that's led to now this to now to a project that I'm working on mm-hmm. that has completely changed my life like overnight. Mm-hmm. And and all of that I was able to do moving in complete silence. None of, I didn't get any of that through my social media following through my mm-hmm. podcasting or anything else. You did it. Yourself. I got it from like doing the thing I wanted to do, finding the job I wanted, asking for that job and then, and then going you- in that job and leveraging it up to something else. What? That sounds crazy. But, but here's the thing <laughs> is we're joking. We're joking, yeah. but so many people are have bought into this fantasy mm-hmm. that oh, it's like you do all this other stuff and this is going to get you the job that you want. That, like, Even yeah, when I went like, to school like, to be a cop, I was the same kind of thing. I wanted to do forensic science. I'm like, oh, I should learn how to be a cop because I saw it on the show where the cops and the forensic scientists always fight. And I'm like, I don't want them to fight. So I want to learn all that stuff. So yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah. And I, I, but I think we're also in this culture where it's like, people really believe this thing of like, okay, you go like viral online and then you have money. Yeah. <laughs> How you many times I mean? have like, we gone viral? Like if we, even if we just look at the number of views that we have on our Pornhub page, it's like, if I had a dollar for every single view I had, absolutely. <laughs> yeah but that's, but that's the thing is it's like but but like social media companies like they want to they want you to be invested in that mythos because it mm-hmm. keeps you online mm-hmm. and like the huge the biggest life lesson I got through this project I'm working on is that 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 is rarely how it works mm-hmm. um at all yeah you know and that the people that are working behind the scenes and just like moving in silence are the people that are like making the real money and making the real power moves. And that like, it's a myth that to get signed or to get popular or any of this stuff, you have to go viral or whatever. Mm-hmm. More often than not, what happens is you're really good at the thing and you, and then the powers that be like, give you a job and then they create a, a brand for you. Mm-hmm. And they put you out on social media and they make sure you go viral. So people yeah. was like, oh, so-and-so is an industry plant. Anyone that you've ever heard of or that's gone viral was an industry plant. Yeah. <laughs> like, honestly. Sorry, TikTokers. Um, I mean, but seriously, like yeah. that, like, on, like that's, there might be very occasional outliers, but like, 
you yeah. know, anyone that you like, oh, they're branding or this or that. It's like that was done with the help of A&R and other stuff. That was not, yeah. you know, like that person was already talented in doing the thing they were talented at and then got signed or got in at this place. Mm-hmm. And then together, like, because, and I've learned this through the project I'm working on in order to do the work to get the thing that changed my life. Mm-hmm. I did not have time to, to be develop. online. Mm-hmm branding myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just like it, like they're like, you can't do both. Yeah. And like, I maybe I mean, maybe some people can, but the thing that I've learned is that, like, you, you can't be good at the thing you're doing and really successful at branding it at the same time, you because there's not, because in order yeah. to do it online and be as engaged as you have to be mm-hmm. like, you, there's no time. Yeah. Because, um, the people that have gotten really successful, with the online stuff, if you go look at the way they engage with their audience, it's like, they're literally engaging with their fan base, like 24 seven. Like I'm, I'm talking about the people that have really blown up online that have millions of followers on Instagram and shit like mm-hmm. that. Um, they're what they're good at is not comedy or this or that. What they're good at is, is engagement. Yeah. And, and they're charismatic. Yeah. And like literally the content they make is meant to be disposable. They are not creating content that is yeah. meant to like last. They're just giving They're, people the attention that they want from someone that they think is famous or an influencer. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. it's like they're literally creating a parasocial dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like that is what they're good at. Yeah. You know, and that's different from being a creative. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not a valuable skill. I'm just yeah. saying it's different. Yeah. And I'm like, not good what, at interacting. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, I mean, the thing is, it's like, and that's what, like, what breaks my heart is seeing creatives that mm-hmm. gets, that get derailed and mm-hmm. get sidetracked, like being told that they have to go do this thing. Well, that yeah. is not what they do, mm-hmm. you know? And then, and like in their efforts to be good at that thing, which is not what they do. Mm-hmm. They lose this. They, they're not developing as an artist yeah. one and they're, and they're, and they're not good at this thing. So it's like, they're not having success over here either. And then they get really frustrated and then they fucking kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that like, honestly, like that, yeah. I mean, we see it so much, Constantly, you know, they give up yeah. on their dreams. They fucking, you know what I mean? They, it's like, and I wish I could tell all of them, like, it's not that like, just keep doing the thing you're good at and you will get noticed. And when you get noticed, those people will hire a team to go do this part of it for you. Yeah. To do all the you things know? that you're not good at. Yeah. I'm definitely yeah. never going to be allowed on my Twitter probably, but that's fine. It's probably for the best for all of us. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but honestly, cause I used to be so scared to step away from social media and just actually work on the thing. Yeah. And like the minute I actually did that, I mean, it was like within a few months, it was just, it was so fucking rapid, Mm -hmm. like how quickly I was noticed for being good at what I'm fucking good at, which is writing, writing. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like I was toiling away at writing for a few months of just steady output before someone noticed and like plucked me out of obscurity and threw me into like this massive situation, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because, and it was like, because I was finally actually doing the thing I was always talking about on social media. Yeah. Instead of just being <laughs> on social media, talking about the thing that you want to do and giving is, away the yeah. thing for free. Yeah. You know, and, and, so and, much, and the person, yeah. and the person that noticed me did not notice my social media. Which is strange because a lot of people like on certain applications and stuff, it'd be like, how many followers do you have? Are you verified? And so a lot of people look at that and be like, oh, fuck, I do have to be good at this. Like, I have to be good at the branding. I have to get verified or or get a bunch of fake followers and and stuff like that. But that to me is always a sign that like whatever, like whatever is you're applying to Mm -hmm. is using you, not helping you. Yeah. And that's the opposite thing. Well, that's unfortunately what a lot of jobs are. And it's like, oh, you get We'll take all of your ideas and stuff. We'll take all your traffic. Pay you for them. Like Jesus. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was like, like the person that found me found an article that I had written five years ago, six years ago. Nice. Um, and thought I'd written it yesterday basically, <laughs> and, and, and found me. Yeah. So like what I would like, like the person found me from something like actual output I was doing, mm-hmm. not, not, not a tweet. how funny my Twitter was, you know what yeah. I mean? Like not an Instagram I, post or yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I just, I just think that like, we've been, we've really been groomed to think that this stuff matters and it's and like, it, it really doesn't. doesn't like, I I've always said that I want to be, um, I want to be rich enough to where I don't have to pay for stuff. And I want to be famous enough to where I don't need social media. <laughs> I mean, I just, I want to be rich enough that like, I actually have a shower with water pressure. Your shower, like, that's, that's, yeah, no, your shower does suck, girl. <laughs> I feel like a shower with water pressure. Like, but no, I mean, my whole thing is like, I have, I have a private Snapchat that's like mm-hmm. literally like five people mm-hmm. that I've had since like childhood. It's like the only place I've been able to like talk about what I'm doing because they've all been like signed a blood oath. Yeah, and like, and it's like the thing I kept saying on there was just like I can't wait to retire. And I, like, I can't wait to do this so that I don't have to be on social media because like once I didn't need it to promote stuff. And then once I took a break from it, cause I was working on this project. Your life is so much better. Oh my God. Even the like, little I, breaks I, like, that I, I take. I, it's I, well, great. I just realized how shitty it was with the social media. Cause I was like, Oh wait, like I just wasn't on there for. And then I realized like with like the private snap I had with like the five people on it mm-hmm. that like, like I use it kind of like a diary, but like knowing that it's not actually going anywhere mm-hmm. and it's really just, it's really just a group chat Yeah, where I don't have to worry about if someone's on an iPhone or a fucking an Android. Yeah. Like, it, and, and it's like, and it's kind of like, they can look at it if they want to or not. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's kind of just like a group chat where people can opt in and opt out when they feel like it. But like, I realized like, oh, it's not that I want attention. It's a place where I can literally just talk to the people that I know like that I know are interested and like, mm-hmm. aren't going to tell anybody what I'm saying here. Yeah. And like, and so I'm actually able to use it to be social. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, like, and, oh, hold on. You're having tech issues too. Yeah. No, my phone is like, Oh, because it got unplugged. <laughs> um, well, we have to get out of here anyway. So finish yeah, up, okay. finish up what you're going to say. Huh? I said you could finish up what you were going to say though. um, But just that like, what I realized was that I didn't necessarily want attention. I just wanted the attention of my friends. Yeah. And like, and like, and like having the private snap, that was just like the few stragglers that had been there that have just always had snap. Mm -hmm. We're like, I was like, I guess this default group of like five people have become like the people. Your Twitter or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, and that's where I was like able to kind of just like, I realized that like, I didn't need everyone's attention. I just wanted a place I could talk to my friends. And yeah. like, yeah, some of the group chats that, that I have um, are great. I have like a timer on my phone. You know, I get, I'm allowed like two hours a day for all social media. So like posting. And then once that little timer comes up, I'm like, okay, I'm done for the day. Um, it sucks though. Cause sometimes I will like shut off when I'm actually promoting shit. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> counterproductive but speaking of social media where can people find you (laughs) um you can find me at sovereign sire on twitter um at sovereign underscore sire on instagram um i don't really exist anywhere else and i barely exist on those places yeah um Basically, you can find me moving in silence. There um, we go. That's my girl. You know, <laughs> uh, SovereignSire.net um, has like all my stuff. Um, so yeah, if you don't have my number or my email, Sorry. can you reach me? No, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to start selling it on eBay. I'm just kidding. I love you. <laughs> all right, everybody. Um, you can find me, the Aaliyah Janine on Twitter, Aaliyah. I think it's dot Janine on Instagram, aliajanine.com for all my wonderful shows. And don't forget about this wonderful podcast, how to do drugs. You can find it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all the places where podcasts are most of them. Please rate and subscribe as well. Okay. Bye. Bye.